Welcome home. You're listening to the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends. Dr. Sammy D. Kim is a Harvard-trained ethicist and co-founder of 180 Church NYC. He is a Yale Hastings Scholar at the Yale Interdisciplinary Center for Bioethics and the Hastings Center, where he explores the inequities surrounding health, immigration, and social policies, along with professional burnout. He is also a regular contributor to Christianity Today. For more information, please visit his website at samdkim.com. Welcome, everyone. Welcome back to the retreat. And for those joining us online, welcome. Let's put this uh, text up on the screen. Proverbs says, uh, uh, yeah, no problem. Proverbs 14, 15, uh, 16 says this, a simple man believes anything, but a prudent man gives thought to his steps. A wise man fears the Lord and shuns evil, but a fool is hot-headed and reckless. Now, if I were to ask a question, which one are you? (laughs) In the text, are you the wise man or woman, not to be sexist, Um, or the prudent or the fool? Raise your hand if you're the wise man. (laughs) The prudent man and the fool. Okay. Thank you for your humility. We talk a lot today about equity and what's equitable. Talk about equality. Affirmative action has been disbanded in the United States. California already have many years ago. There's a a philosophy professor that passed away recently. J.R. Rawls, and he talked about a case of a society that you in this room could create yourself. And even if you created the most just society, there's no way you can factor the outcome because you can't factor talent, you can't factor personality, and you can't factor. In any society, you will have disparity. And so one of the things that we're talking about globally, especially about equity, is that uh, we have to help people get more skin in the game. Because people think, well, some of you might think, well, if I had a different fortune, different cards dealt in my life, my parents, like the dramas, were like if they were the conglomerate families, my life would be fill in the blank. Because medicine has, also moved to a psychosocial model where environmental factors do determine many of the equity in, 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 in the world we see today. But a lot of, uh, for example, the richest man in the world didn't, do you know who the richest man in the world is? Kind of crazy, but he's the richest man. Yeah, Elon, he's self-made. Came to Penn, helped found PayPal, didn't come from money, but the richest man and probably the craziest man. I, I really think Elon one day, he says Tesla's gonna be a $10 trillion company, and I think what he's gonna do is he's gonna be in like $20 trillion in debt, and he's gonna go colonize Mars and be like, bye Earth, bye people of Earth. But the outcomes shouldn't sway that way, but it does because scripture already has given us the blueprint for no matter what situation you're dealt, whether perfect or horrendous, everything can still go south, right? I mean, let's tell the story of scripture from the beginning of Genesis and talk about equity. The prince of creation, the princess and prince of creation, Adam and Eve, were given a paradise. They lived in wherever 
tropical destination you want to go to? How many, were you, were you, how many people here want to go to Greece? Cape Town? I mean, Jamaica? I just came back from Jeju. Jeju is one of them. I think it was Jeju. Garden of Eden was probably... No, I mean, you can, you can picture a paradise. <clears throat> and then think about it. They had no job. No techies. No doctors, no sickness. So all doctors, you're all fired. <laughs> no veterinary, nothing. Perfect paradise. So sons of, of the greatest spiritual inheritance given directly by Yahweh, given directly by God. Genesis says that God walked in the cool of the day in the garden, meaning they were in direct contact with God, yet... Sons and daughters became slaves within the third chapter of Genesis. So, psychosocial environment? But you go, you forgot the snake, though. Okay, it's a little snake, garden snake. They can't, you know garden snakes can't really harm you, right? Even though I'm terrified of them. I mean, so... When you look at the very beginning of scripture, it already tells you, no matter where you start, you can end up as a slave. And if you read scripture carefully, all the way, the whole framework of the Jewish framework is that the Messiah will free them from slavery. Because slavery is all they have known. Briefly, you have David and Solomon, but they're a blip in the radar. They're taken over by the you know, Babylonians, the Assyrians, then the Romans. Then the Germans try to wipe them out. But you could start from slavery and then become sons, the book of Exodus. God performs mighty miracles, is their redeemer, and they go from slavery to sons and daughters. And then they want to go back to being slaves. Why? What is the heart of where you end up in life spiritually, physically, Whatever that vision is, scripture says humanity has a propensity for some odd reason to go back into slavery. And slavery is not simply chains and being subjugated by a power that you can't overcome. You enter this part of Exodus and Pharaoh's reign is... They want to go back to Egypt. Tell someone next to you. Ask them, do you want to go back to Egypt? Because what you read in Numbers is the, the, ten, the spies, the ten spies, only two, Caleb and, and Joseph are the ones that we can take this land. The eight said, let's get a new leader because Moses is clearly delusional. And Aaron, that minion, he's crazy, thinking we could beat the giants. The NIH did actually a study on giantism, a scientific study based on Numbers 13, how giants came before the flood. And that's what they, they see, the people. But if you go, you, you fast forward to Jericho, Joshua, the book of Joshua, all the people in Jericho are afraid of this God they heard of Egypt that struck down the greatest empire in history. They were shaking in their boots, but this mindset, tell someone next to you, this mindset. The mindset. the mindset. You can be freed from Egypt, but can you take Egypt out from yourself? You can, take, you can be freed from slavery, but you can still be subjugated internally. This poor mindset. It's the greatest hindrance to spiritual inheritance. You have a poor mindset, 
nothing could set you free because that's what your propensity is. That's what you are. They said, we want to get a new leader and go back to Egypt. What was so good about Egypt? Well, at least we know the script. There's no fear. They'd rather go back into slavery than be free and fight. Odd. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. Our spiritual inheritance. For many of us here, no matter what you've accomplished externally, if you don't deal with this issue of mindset, the Bible already said you have, in Ephesians 1, all throughout Scripture, you are sons and daughters of the King. Jesus shed, laid down his own life for you. But if that doesn't come through, no matter if you go to church or not, or you get married or not, or you accomplish the things you wanted in life, you'll see yourself in the internal life and the external sometimes, implicit and explicit, you'll be going back and subjugating yourself into slavery. And many of us in this room are subjugated in areas that we might not know. Because in the end of the day, what is at the heart of why sons became slaves and why slaves who were freed became slaves again or wanted to be slaves again? One word. Trust. Tell someone next to you, trust. Why? Why the crown of creation went from inheritors of the universe to slaves is they didn't trust the heart of God. They trusted an insidious voice that said, he is hiding something from you. And if what you want in life, what you really want in your heart, only you can get. Every sin either internal or external, whether said or done, it's about trust. Every area of disobedience in this room, you know. The reason why you're king and you're subjugated by that idol over, over the Father, Heavenly Father, and our Lord is because... You don't trust that God will give you better. That's why creation ended by chapter 3. Because disobedience is not about pleasure. It's about trust. It's about what I can get, what I think I know. It's the mindset. Why could the Israelites not go into the land even though when you read Numbers carefully, it says that they were near the Negev. Haran is right near there. Haran, right near the Negev, right near Egypt, is where all the patriarchs are buried. Where Bethel, where God called Abraham in Genesis 12. All the patriarchs are buried near Negev. Right near the land they're supposed to conquer. Meaning, they not only seen God's power move in Egypt, they have the patriarchs. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob buried as altars near where they're supposed to conquer. Meaning God's faithfulness has been proven over, over, over again. Yet, I don't think it's going to happen. Tell someone next to you, I don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> well, maybe for you it's going to happen. But for me, I don't think it's going to happen. I, I, I don't think it's going to happen for me. Mindset. Spiritual, this is what we call spiritual poverty. And I've seen it. You have spiritual poverty? No matter. Miracles won't change it. <laughs> because those people, not only seeing miracles that we'll never see, and you're like, how could they doubt? 
Then God gave them meat in the freaking desert. Because they complain, oh, there's only bread, only manna falling, bread falling from heaven. We also want some meat. God's like, all right, fine, fine. I'll give you some meat. That's what I said to Debbie all the time in the hospitality. Can you get some more meat? We had some, finally, we had two meat <laughs> dinner last night. The gyro and the chicken. Pray, hallelujah. They had provision and super provision, yet the mentality of slavery cannot, could not, it was addicted in them internally. They couldn't remove it. They couldn't shake it. They had a po- spiritual poverty. The poverty of their heart has taken over so strong. Stephen Covey in Seven Habits of Highly Effective People calls this ultra determinism. I've already determined where my life will end up. Even though I don't want that, I know. Tell somebody, I know. How do you know? Because I know. How do you know that? Where's the, where, where's the empirical evidence? Where's the quantitative where's the, you know, where's the quant, where's the qualitative evidence? You just, you know, I just know these things. I know in my heart that this is, it's mind reading. You don't know. The variables play very differently in life. You do not really know. You feel like you know because of mindset. This is spiritual poverty. People in spiritual poverty, which is the history of scripture. That's why Paul says if the son has set you free, you are what? Yeah, free indeed. And then you go back into slavery. Oh, yeah, free indeed. You step back into poverty. It's spiritual poverty. This spiritual poverty is pervasive and stems from original sin because no matter what your context, flourishing context or brutal, abusive context, you still go end up in slavery. And in the end of the day, our spiritual inheritance, the correlation of where your families will end up spiritually, where our lives, the projection of our lives will end up in our spiritual destinies, will be ultimately determined by the degree of our trust. In the scripts, either in the richness of the scriptures and the word of God and the promises of God that enter and mitigate and replace the scripts that our parents have given us and our wounds have given us and the arrows have given us, they are at war. But one of them will be lived out and determine our destinies. This is not something I'm saying anecdotally. I mean, this is just what scripture has shown over and over and over and over. And then I know in your own life, you see it displayed. So the question is, do you trust the heart of God? If we put God's heart on trial, could you trust it? Well, yeah, obviously. But why can't you trust it? Why can't we trust it? Why couldn't Adam and Eve? Why couldn't the Israelites? Because you know, in Numbers 13, the from Egypt to Canaan is a journey of eight days. How long did it take for them to get there? Not even, because they all died. That's, I mean, this is like equivalent to how bad I am on directions. I could get lost somewhere for 40 years. I almost got lost in Walmart yesterday for 40 years, too. I mean, it's like, they don't take Apple Pay? Why not? Why not? <laughs> Josh had to come and go, Dad, you don't put it that way. You put it the other way. How do you know this, Josh? You're only 11. You don't have a credit card. I know these things. (laughs) Thank God God has given me a wise son. But every generation that saw the power of God in Egypt died in the desert. Right near, with their patriarchs, near the patriarchs of Abraham and Jacob and the promise of the covenant without seeing the promised land because they couldn't shake spiritual poverty. So which one are you? Which one are we? Wise? Smart? 
or fools? They go, okay, I know which one I, which one do you want to be? Because the wise learn from others. If you're at least smart, you learn from your own mistakes. If you're a fool, you never learn. So what's the lesson of the proverb? Don't be a fool. Tell somebody, just don't be a fool. Please don't be. Don't be a fool. At least be smart or be wise, but don't be a fool. So watch this. Let's go to this text here. So here's the mindset. For Caleb, which in Hebrew actually, it's funny, but I don't know, we don't know exactly what it sounded like in the time of Moses, but Caleb actually is translated dog. Dog. You know how like you have a dog in the fight? The totem of Caleb's tribe is actually a dog. Shut up, Siri. (laughs) He said, I don't have an answer for that. (laughs) I have an answer for that. But Caleb had a different mindset. He was going to pursue, even when you see him later on in Joshua, and he's an old man, and he gets up, rips his shirt off, and says, I am ready to, to take the inheritance of the land. And he's like, you know, like a grandpa. <laughs> because he has a different mindset of the promises of God. He's not going to let one ounce of promise, one inch of promise wasted in his life. You know? One inch. Some of you, I see you eat your food, you're like, I'm not going to let one thing go to waste. One, I'm, just, I'm just like, what? chill, man. No, I don't waste food. We do these things in life, but when it comes to the most important things, we don't seize the day. We don't copy diem for some reason. For Caleb, he silenced the people before Moses and said, because they were grumbling and they were terrified of the giants of men. Which... According to the NIH, there's possible correlation that Goliath was related later to that generation. And um, silenced the people and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we certainly could do it. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Is that your heart and soul in your spiritual inheritance? Or is like, yeah, maybe for you, because of spiritual poverty. But the men who gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger, stronger than we are. Stronger. The question you have to ask is, do I trust in the promises of God for every single thing in my life, even though my family of origin dealt with it in a different way, been dealt with different cards in marriage and finances and dealing with family conflicts. Because in the end of the day, how many people here, you know, don't think you'll end up like your parents? I never thought too, but I'm just like my parents. Mark Twain said he couldn't stand his father when he, when he was 12. And then he couldn't believe how much his father grew when he became 18. We all become and end up back at the family of origin. Basically everything. You can externally strip so socioeconomically, but internal to internal life, those patterns and habits go back. No matter if you start from a great place or a really bad place, if spiritual poverty is not dealt with in the heart. Let me show you what spiritual poverty looks like in a scene from Million Dollar Baby.
How's that girl doing? Well, she's got a concussion and a broken eardrum. She be all right? And if she isn't? Maybe I should send her something. Well, you could send her your check if you'd like. I'm sure she'd take it. Boss? That little house we talked about? I bought it. Smart girl. For my mama. It's only about a mile from where she lives now. No mortgage, just like you said. You're a good daughter. She don't know about it yet. I was hoping maybe we could stay an extra day, drive over there. I know she wants to meet you. Yeah, we could do that. Mama, come on out here. Mary Ann's here. This is the Johnson's Ohio's. Not anymore. It's all yours, Mama. For you and Mardale and the kids. Where are you, me? Bought this for me? Yeah, all yours, free and clear. Darling. No fridge, no stove, neither. They'll be here for you, me, then. How much money this cost? You me? never mind that. Well, you shouldn't have done this. You need a decent place. You shouldn't have done it. You should have asked me first. Darling, government's gonna find out about this house. They're gonna stop my welfare. Oh, well, no, they ain't. Yeah, they are. You're fine. You're working, but I can't live without my welfare. Mama, I send you money. What about my medicine? Medicaid gonna cut me off. How am I supposed to get my medicine? I'll send you more money. I hope you don't expect J.D. to move in here with us. He's getting out, you know. Why don't you just give me the money? <laughs> Would you have to buy me a house? Didn't have to, Mama. But it's yours. You want the money? Sell it. I don't. I know you didn't mean nothing hurtful by this, but sometimes you just don't think things through. It's true, Mama. I'll try and keep the house. Worry about all those expenses. I'll send you some more money. <laughs> that man hitting you? It's from the fight. Uh, I'm a fighter, Mama. Find a man, Mary M. Live proper. People hear about what you're doing and they lie. Hurts me to tell you, but they, they life that you. <laughs> How's that girl doing? That's my case. <laughs> For every area of distrust that we have from the very beginning. In Genesis, Adam and Eve couldn't trust the Heavenly Father. He was right there physically. The Israelites, except Caleb and Joshua, couldn't trust their Lord and Master. So, what do we learn about mindset? Well, first lesson we learn is what? Our spiritual inheritance is what? Directly to what? The degree of trust we have in our Heavenly Father and our Lord. So every area of distrust 
which would be the areas of slavery in our lives today. That's what we're doing to God. I know better. I know how to live. This is the way I'm used to living. This is the way I'm used to thinking. Don't tell me how to live. I can't trust you in those areas. That's why we disobey. That's why the Israelites disobeyed. That's why they want to go back into slavery. To, to receive the script they understand. Until spiritual poverty is dealt with in mindset. No matter of wealth or promises. No matter how good and beautiful they are. Could be received. Right? If you have holes inside of yourselves, no matter how much God gives, won't be enough. It'll fall through. If you don't deal with spiritual poverty, you're going to send it to your own kids and their kids and their kids' kids. Because they won't believe they're worthy of dignity, of destiny. Maladaptive addictions and behaviors always, always are generational. You study the science behind it, it passes down to the genes, the very genome of our DNA. Spiritual poverty is not an issue that you deal with just yourself. It's a generational issue. Either you die in the places of slavery, in the twilight of freedom and the promises of God, which is really nowhere, or you go to the promised land. So let me ask you the question. Where do you distrust God? What areas and spheres in your life? What areas in your life do you distrust God and the heart of God? Your heavenly Father and your Lord. I'll tell you right now, you want to deal with spiritual poverty? Deal with it right there. Because that's where you're the poorest. And no amount of counseling. Moses was the greatest, well, the second greatest prophet after John the Baptist. He's kind of like Magic Johnson, not LeBron, but um, <laughs> I'm kidding. I have a basketball poverty I'm still working with. <laughs> but um, where are the areas of distrust? Well, why do you distrust the heart of God? The poverty of our hearts and the poverty of our past will determine our trajectory of the future, and our generations. When the Bible has already shown us over and over again God's faithfulness. Those areas have to be highlighted and identified, but no one, no one, no one, no matter amount of love, Jesus already died on the cross, that was the greatest amount of love, can set you free from slavery. You're already free. Tell someone next to you, you're already free. Because who the Son has set free is free indeed. You have to walk out of the prison, of your own internal prison, in the mindset. Because no one can live freedom for you. You have to live it yourself. I mean, that's what the song is about, right? You just realized it today, though, right? Yeah. But, you know, your songs are kind of scary, though. <laughs> Capsize me, submerge, drown. I mean, but I, I do think that that's part of it, that we have to be drowned. I mean, how many people here, honestly, okay, I'm going to ask you a funny question. Have you ever peed in the ocean? Don't raise your hand. Just, just, I'm just saying. All right. <laughs> Well, 
That's a good picture because it, even if you peed in the ocean, it would dissipate automatically. It wouldn't really be pee. It would be submerged back into water because the ocean is so massive, your pee means nothing to the ocean. In the same way, the picture is you get submerged to the riches and the glories and the blessings of God. Your past, your excretion <laughs> dissipates. And you get baptized into the oceanic love of God and the promises of God. But the areas of distrust have to be highlighted and have to be. And even though sometimes it's not something we want to talk about because long as it's hidden, we don't really have to do it. But you're forfeiting your spiritual inheritance. Okay, so that's the first thing. Lastly, so then, then what do we have to do? What do we have to do then to embrace the promises of God for our lives? What is it? What does it look like? If then, if our spiritual inheritance is directly proportional to our degree of trust of our Heavenly Father and our Lord, both our Father and our Lord, then spiritual freedom, second lesson, is what? This, this is our practice. Our spiritual freedom is what? To our degree of surrender. The calling is to surrender the fear and the mindset and to take on the promises of God. How can you become rich? How many people want to become rich? Raise your hand if you want to become rich. <laughs> Some people are like, me? I'm, gonna figure. <laughs> I'm not talking about that kind of rich, though. Okay, fine. We, we'll include it. We'll include it in there. But, but um, the only way you can empty the poverty of the heart in, in the soul is to stuff it. How many people ever, you ate enough to be stuffed and you had food coma? Thanksgiving, right? Well, how can, you know how to do that. <laughs> so why can't we stuff ourselves with the treasure troves of the glory of God and the promises of God until we get coma, food coma? And then we're like just Overflowing with joy, overflowing with like peace, and overflowing with confidence, overflowing with the power of God in our lives. We could. We know how to do it materially, but we don't know how to do it spiritually because that's not really talked about, but it's the same thing. So the degree of our freedom will be directly proportional to the degree of our surrender. And sometimes salvation is surrender, but the degree of our freedom will be determined by that we go to war. You have to have the dog in the fight. I had a friend. Not had, I mean she's still alive. And she's married now. And um, it was a Luzon gathering I think she was like 43. Like five years ago, she had a really bad breakup. And then we were doing prayer request, and Carrie was there and said, I don't know. I guess I'm just not going to be married, you know? And I'm serving the Lord. I'm in ministry. I want to be married, but now I'm 43, 44, and I'm not. And, and she goes, there's nothing in sight. What is God doing? She goes, you know, honestly, I'm just sometimes ready to settle. Everybody around me, my family, you know, her father was a senator of the, the chair of the intelligence community for 30 years, president of Oklahoma University, like a celebrity in where they grew up. And here's the daughter, Harvard, Yale, all Oxford, 
And it's like, why can't, why, what's wrong with God in this area? I'm just tempted to settle. He said, Sam, will you pray? I heard you have anointing. I heard the people in your church get married a lot. Like, it's true, it's true. And I said, thinking, did I have faith? A little bit. I mean, do I have faith when I pray for people? <laughs> Truthfully, I mean, I have to tell you this, just to, so that we sort of demystify spiritual experiences. I have prayed for people. In many cases, they were healed, and I still don't believe it. I'm like, can you bring me like documentation <laughs> from the doctor? Because I don't want you to feel healed, you know? You know? I want you to be really healed. I don't want, I want you to come later and be like, I felt healed and I didn't get healed. I even, one time I prayed for someone, they were barren, trying IVF for like 10 years. And then the Lord said, tell them they're going to get pregnant. I'm like, I'm not telling them that. No way. Praying, they fall on the floor, both of them, the husband, I'm like, they're crying hysterically. Tell them she's going to get the Holy Spirit says, tell them, like, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. I am not telling him that. No way. Then the Holy Spirit goes, no, tell them, tell them. I tell them. And then as I tell it, do I feel? I feel like I just made a 50-50 bet. <laughs> and if I'm wrong, this is, like, devastating. I avoided this couple from that day forth. For at least, I don't know, a couple of months. And then the wife approached me one day on the campus in college. And I was like, I'm running away. <laughs> she tell me something happened to her. She goes, we're pregnant. So let me, let me tell you, I don't have faith sometimes when I pray. I pray because I'm commanded to pray. And I go, God, I trust you. It's not me. It's not my power. I, I, I think you could do it. I don't know if you will do it. And then we prayed for our sister. And did I feel faith? No, not really. <laughs> I could tell you like to make myself look like, oh, you know, I felt the presence of God and I started speaking in tongues and, you know, I started manifesting, but no, I, it was just, Lord, you know, please do something. <laughs> then one year later, she's in the front of the New York Times You know the people in the New York Times, that, they're the rich people that get married. You know that, right? <laughs> so, as a kicker, I mean, these are, now I, I've known these guys for about 12, 13 years now, and they're dear friends. I mean, Greg is a bit older than Carrie for like 15 to 17 years, and he was a single man, and Carrie was offered to go on a blind date. And she's like, I'm not going to no blind date. There are no men for me out there. And he goes, you know, I'm just going to settle. I'm just not going to get married. This is, but she goes, are fine. She felt the prompting to go on this date. Turns out he was a minister, a missionary to Haiti for the last 20 years. And he's also never met anyone. It's like, I'm never going to get married. I gave up. He said he gave up. He goes, Sam, I gave up. Because if I'm not going to settle for anyone else except someone who completely devotes themselves to the Lord, I said, good for you, Greg. Good for you. And then they meet, they get married. Now they do missions together and evangelism out of Dallas. But here's the kicker that I didn't even know until Carrie told me later. Greg is from a billionaire family. Carrie... I was like, good thing you waited, Carrie. <laughs> Carrie's gift from their family was a $6 million mansion. And supposedly, the family owns all, all the hospitality five-star hotels in Dallas. So the, fam the brother came, who owns it, said, Carrie, just go to the hotel and pick whatever you want, and we'll send it to your house. And the Carrie had also, uh, you know, a poverty mindset sometimes, being a minister for 20 years, she's like, ah, but, but if Tim, I'm, I'm going to have to clean this house 
And Greg goes, I'll just send you cleaners from the hotel. <laughs> okay. And Greg and the family, they actually own part of, what was it? 21, whatever? Yeah, the, the production company, Everything Everywhere, that film, they produced it. Oh, whatever it is, I don't know. Sorry, sorry guys. But uh, they told me this. Greg, Greg and Tim, and the Hennington family, a few years ago on live ESPN, Greg went on to win the Lombardi Trophy of Philanthropy. Now, now I'm not telling the story because like, you're like, okay, that's the plan God has for me. <laughs> I'm going to marry a billionaire. Some ladies are like, thank you. Hallelujah. Yes. A man of God with a billion, well, I think they're, I think they're worth four billion or something like that, but not to say. But uh, <laughs> I'm counting as a friend. No, I'm <laughs> but uh, um, now Carrie is going around the world giving the poorest communities material things they don't have, but also the gospel because she didn't settle and what her surrender her, her surrender led to the trajectory of her own destiny because she didn't give up. She didn't die in the twilight of the promise and freedom. She kept on with hope. Now, I am not preaching the prosperity gospel to you. Please, as a disclaimer, this is her story. I'm not saying it's going to happen with your story because wealth is not everything, even though it is nice. If I do go to Dallas, I could stay in one of those hotels. That's always nice. Praise the Lord. But they do have a chapel in their house. They have a church in their house. I do go pray there sometimes. But the point is, you can trust the heart of God. And I don't hear a lot of believers say this in their internal life a lot. Just three words. Or four words, actually. I always get these things wrong. I trust you, Lord. Tell someone next to you. I trust you, Lord. I trust you, Lord. Job said, I see my Redeemer live. Even if my flesh is broken, washed away, I will see my Redeemer live. The Bible tells us those who put their trust in the Lord will be never be put to shame, be put to shame. Those four words, I trust you, Lord, must become the prayer of our lives. If we want to re receive our spiritual inheritance and our spiritual destiny. Because the practices, our spiritual freedom is directly proportional to the degree of our surrender, and sometimes that is war. And do I, sometimes in my own life, when I say, I trust you, Lord, do I feel it? I pray for someone, Lord, I trust you to change them, but they probably won't change. <laughs> <laughs> but you can change them. I trust you, Lord. Because it shifts back the promises. It shifts back the pressure. It shifts back the responsibility to the one that holds the universe in his hands. I trust you, Lord. When you feel doubt and darkness, when you feel distrust, the enemy will say, you can't trust the Lord. You can't trust anyone. He doesn't, have out the, he doesn't have the best for you. You know what's best for you. You know at least what you can get. And that's why, no, I'm going to trust the Lord. 
I trust you, Lord. Today, I pray as a practice, I dare you to say those four words in every temptation, in every bit of darkness, in every bit when you feel like you want to settle your spiritual inheritance. I trust you, Lord. Amen? Let's stand and pray together. your hands with me to the Lord today. Will you tell the Lord those four words? I trust you, Lord. I trust you, Lord. see. I trust you, Lord, when I'm not feeling it. I trust you, Lord, in the darkness of my own despair. I trust you. I will trust you, Lord. Listening. When I cry 
Lord, I call to you. With each step, we're drawing closer. With each step, we're drawing closer. For everyone I take, you take to. you have for me. spiritual poverty once and for all by learning to trust in the Lord. To learn to declare trust in the Lord, not trust cognitively, not trust theoretically, but trust from the heart, saying, God, I will trust you, Lord. the very beginning Christian they ran away from the father and they disobeyed him so Jesus sent the Lord the father sent Jesus to bring us back to him to free us from slavery and whoever the son has freed is free indeed where the spirit of the Lord is there is freedom As we close, I want to pray a blessing for everyone here today. I pray you will not forfeit your spiritual inheritance. I pray like Joshua and Caleb. You will fight for your inheritance. As Joshua said to the Lord and to Moses, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Put a line in the sand. I'm going to trust the Lord. No matter the situation, no matter the circumstances, no matter how bleak, no matter how I feel, because the Lord is good. He's proven it. From the beginning of creation, the death on the cross, to the resurrection, to the gifts that he's given us even today. I'm just going to give you one or two minutes to just soak under that promise and say, when you just say to the Lord, I will trust you, Lord, under your breath, I will trust you, Lord. Declare it. 
for the benediction today. I will pray the prayer of blessing so that you walk into your spiritual inheritance and your spiritual destiny for the flourishing of your life and your children's children's life. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you, your children's children, peace. All God's people pray. Amen. God bless you. Peace.